Now, my name is Nathan Loxley. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's always an honor to get to share with you. I always end up doing this as I come up here and I just sniffle the entire time. So if you're watching out there on the World Wide Web, you're welcome. Uh, no, we're, I'm excited to get to, uh, to preach today, uh, to share with you what's kind of going on. Um, you might also be wondering, like, why is this dude wearing a football jersey in May? And there's two reasons. One, luckily today, I'm going to talk about sports a little bit, which is very near and dear to my heart. But secondly, it's the only shirt that covers the massive hole in the back of my jeans that I was just made aware of this morning. Now, <clears throat> that's funny and all, and now you're all going to be distracted. I'm going to be like walking like this across stage the entire time. But really what I'm like worried about is how long has it been there, right? So if I have offended you in the past several weeks with my attire, I apologize. Modesty is important to me too. Okay. So let's kick off today. Hey, we're this, if you weren't here last week, um, there are, last week was a huge week for us. Um, excitement, like just excitement for, I mean, several years God's been like planning and calling us to this kind of mission for our community. And we're seeing that realized. And if you've been with us the past five weeks or so, you've heard us talk about worth it over and over and over um, and over. Uh, and we've talked about stuff like what we're called to do, and we've talked about stuff like money. Um, and so last week, we had what we called the big give. It's the beginning of two years of a commitment to fund, like, big ministry here at 24 Church. And so we are, uh, last week was a big week because it was the first week that we all brought our offerings in for the next two years to kick this off. And our goal last week is for that to be the biggest single day offering that 24 Church has ever had. Okay, I think before that, yet on before Sunday, the biggest offering we'd ever had was around thirty thousand dollars. Which, wow, because guys, it's not usually anywhere close to that. But last week, like you guys were a part of something absolutely incredible, and only only possible through what Jesus has done for you. And it was evident in the church last week that God was doing something. Y'all with me? Because last week, y'all gave 80, hold on, $85,493.10. Yeah. That's over $50,000 higher than it's ever been on Sunday. You realize what that means for the next two years, what we can do with that for the next two years to kick us off, to be able to build a, 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 another, uh, <laughs> to build out that way. There we go. That's a good, an addition this way, to bring kids here on buses that need it. And most importantly, and what we're going to eventually hit today, not just bring people here, but to go out to them and be with them. Exciting times at 24. And I just want to say this. There's still time for you to be a part of this. If you have not filled out a commitment card, we gave those out multiple weeks ago, please turn it in. We've had almost 100 families say, we're gonna give toward this mission in this city for Jesus' glory, amen? And so you can be a part of that, and so it's not too late. Fill out a card, you can find them on the welcome desk. They might even be in your chairs, I don't know. Uh, and we can show you how to go through that if that's something that you'd like to be a part of. All right. That's out of the way. Joey billed today 
as I would only preach 30 minutes. Thanks, bro. Uh, no, my goal this week was to find a passage of Scripture that was something that we needed as a church, but something that would allow you to go hang out at the lake on Memorial Day. So you're welcome, all right? We can get you an early start and get you out the door. Here's, here's what I want to do. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand, and we're going to hook you up with one. If you don't own one, take it home with you. It's yours, okay? So the other reason uh, I'm wearing a jersey today, it just so happened to work out that I'm talking about sports, and just a little. And I don't know about you, but I absolutely love sports probably too much. Anybody else love sports too much? Has anyone, has anyone ever said a cuss about sports? Brave people, thank you. If you're a Volunteers fan, then you have definitely done that. Definitely, definitely done that. Usually toward a certain person or people, Lane Kiffin and Derek Dooley and Butch Jones. Anyway, but we love sports. There's something that's inside of us that just is natural to love it, right? And really what it is is and all sports really is, is competition, correct? We love competition. It's in our nature to be competitive. Like, the beginning of sports was some dude going, I bet you can't pick up that rock. And the other guy saying, bro, bet I can. And they tried to pick up a rock. And then they just started picking up bigger rocks and bigger rocks and bigger rocks until they found out who was the strong and who was the weak. And we see the all of sports, like, all the way from the Greeks, like in, we see it pop up in isolated cultures, like Native Americans, long, 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 long before we ever got here, right? We're playing sports. It's something inside of us that wants to compete. <clears throat> I grew up, uh, I was a competitive swimmer growing up, and I'm sure that you already knew that because of my athletic profile. Uh, it's very Michael Phelps, is it not? Uh, I was a competitive swimmer, and swimming is a completely different kind of sport, and honestly, any kind of, like, race sport is, and you compete against other people, like, there's a first, second, and third place, which, in our culture today, I wish we still embraced first, second, third place, and then no one else gets mentioned, but, uh, but you, there's that, you're racing against other people, but really, in that scenario, and what we're even taught to do as competitive swimmers, you have your lane, block out everything around you, because really, you're racing against yourself. You're never going to come into contact with another person. Your competition is you and that clock. And our practices were completely designed around that. Like, you had to make time splits over and over and over. And if you ever want to talk to me about how grueling that was as a sport, uh, we can talk about it sometime. I still have some, some traumatic, like, experiences and issues I'm working through because of swimming. Like, me and chlorine just don't even get along anymore. So uh, if you ever want to talk about it, we can. But it was always this race against the clock, this race against yourself that's competitive. Still one of my favorite sports to watch, and I still act like I can do it sometimes. So don't race me in a pool. You don't want to do that. Um, one, I'll beat you, and two, I'll probably tear a rotator cuff. All right. <clears throat> Second favorite sport, well, I won't say, I won't list them in order, but one of my other favorite sports is wrestling. And I didn't wrestle growing up. I watched a great wrestling team at my high school win state championships. Uh, it was, still ranks as one of the most exciting moments ever to see a state championship and win one in wrestling. It's a wild sport, and it's cool because uh, my son wrestles now, and he's been wrestling for four or five years, um, and he's good at it, which is 
always nice. Uh, it, more, it makes it more entertaining. I'll put it that way. Uh, but I love wrestling because it's completely unique, right? It's one-on-one. Like, there's no excuses that you can make if you lose. It was all on you. You can't blame another teammate. You get out there. You look at a guy or a gal, whatever. Girls wrestle too, and they're pretty good at it. Uh, And you look them in the eye, and after about six minutes, you find out who's the strong one and who's the weak one. You find out who is superior in that ring. It's something that's really, really beautiful about it. Um, all your hard work and all everything that you've put into it shines on that mat there. <clears throat> and I think that it's interesting because this is who we are in our nature. We're wrestlers. Everything is one-on-one. Everything is me versus. Get that? Most of the time, it's me versus everyone else. And if you look at our world, isn't that exactly what it looks like? If you look at your social media feed, isn't that exactly what it looks like, me versus the world? My opinion versus your opinion? And see, it's the same goal. Like, my goal is to be superior. My views are superior. My opinions are superior. What I believe is superior. What I know is superior. My attributes and my my talent is superior. We're constantly in this battle to prove that we're superior. And I've got to ask the question, why in the world are we so competitive? Science makes it pretty simple. We're competitive for survival. But it's interesting, you know, only the strong survive, right? Early bird gets the worm. If we're stronger than someone else, it means we get to eat, look at nature. That's kind of how it works. Superiority means survival, but what's interesting is it's not just in us, in our nature like that. It's also in our spiritual, broken spiritual nature to see this need to be superior and stronger than everyone else around us, isn't it? It's in your nature to want to be superior. So here's what we're gonna do. If you have a Bible, open up to Romans 15. We're gonna look at the first seven verses today, and we're gonna see what Paul addresses the Roman church about when it comes to superiority, when it comes to strength, when it comes to weakness. And spoiler alert, it's not what the world teaches. Okay, Romans 15. We start in verse one. We're gonna read the whole thing together. Here we go. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So just a little backstory here, because there is quite a bit of it. And you should read this when you go home. Read all of Romans 14, right? We never take scripture out of context. We gotta really know what's going on there. Otherwise, we're gonna be thinking that Jesus is completely different than who he is. And so Paul is talking to the Romans, right? It's it's Romans, so he's talking to the Romans. The Roman church, be good for you to know, is mostly Gentiles, all right? Meaning not Jewish people. 
okay? And so there is this debate and this kind of attitude that's been going on in the Roman church, and he's written this amazing, like, theological treatise over the first, the entire book up to this point, and then he gets into kind of conduct with one another, but there's a problem amongst the Roman church. The Gentiles and the Jews aren't getting along for one reason and one reason alone. It's because the Jews, right, they still follow the tradition of not eating certain foods, okay? So these foods are unclean, and it's so crazy that these people are fighting about food. It's crazy that they're fighting over food, unless you go look at, like, any barbecue forum on the, on the internet, and then, like, guys are willing to kill each other, other over how to do, like, a perfect pork shoulder, right? So we do the same thing, too, but they're they're fighting over food, what's clean and what's unclean. So what we see Paul doing here is addressing the Gentiles, okay? And he's calling the Gentiles the strong, all right? We who are strong. And what he means by that, he's calling the ones who are strong, the ones who have been set free and understand that there's nothing unclean anymore. Jesus has abolished that, excuse me, not abolished, has fulfilled this, all this law and covenant, okay? So we see Paul addressing the Gentiles and saying, hey, you, I get it. You are stronger because you believe that all these things are, uncle- are not unclean anymore, that you can eat them, and I get it, okay? I'm that way too. But you need to bear with the shortcomings, the failings, all right, the weakness of the Jews, they don't, they, they still are kind of hung in this law thing, right? So you need to bear with them. Earlier in, the, in Romans 14, it says, do not be a stumbling block to them. And basically he told them, hey guys, I understand that you are set free from this kind of idea and concept, but when you're around these people, don't eat unclean foods. Even though you know it's like, okay, don't eat them because it could cause them to sin and stumble, okay? So all this is prefaced here where he says, okay, bear with them, be patient with them, and don't please yourselves. So basically, don't enjoy what you know you can enjoy. Hold back something from yourself. You need to sacrifice here. And in that, in that first verse of the passage, he, he explains why. We have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And it says this, this is the instruction. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. The purpose of this is to build your brother up, to build your neighbor up. It is not worth tearing them down over this minor little thing. Build them up. And he goes on to say this, and I love this. For Christ did not please himself, Boy, that's a big one. We'll get there. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, he's, he's quoting Psalm 69, I think verse 9, if you want to go check that out. He's quoting that because he's trying to bring into these Gentiles an Old Testament passage uh, 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 from the Psalms saying, hey, guys, this Old Testament stuff is still relevant to you even today, Gentile. So don't overthink this and think that you got it all figured out because I've taught you this new way. Know that all these things are good. So he, he brings in this, <clears throat> this, what, this, and this is actually a Christ kind of passage, a, <clears throat> a premonition of Jesus in the Psalms. He brings this in to show us that the Old Testament is still good. 
And it's really cool what he does here. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction now, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So here's what he's saying. Hey, these old things, these old scriptures are still relevant to you today. And even though the Jews might be misinterpreting what the big picture of these scriptures are, I'm telling you now so that you know the purpose is hope. And it's the same hope that I, you have through Jesus that the Jews have through Jesus. So he's basically saying, hey guys, this issue that we've got over this food thing and eating this way, right or wrong, strong or weak, it's not what's most important. You are serving the same God. In fact, that's why he even says right afterward, he uses the exact same language like endurance and encouragement. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. So he's saying, you serve the exact same God. You are on the same side here. This is not a competition on who's right or who's wrong. It's not important. The importance is the big picture, the hope that the whole plan of God, this whole story of God brings to the Gentile and to the Jew to make a new people, to make a new kingdom that doesn't look like any other kingdom and doesn't look like this world. He said, those things are not what's important. See, it was a big deal for the Romans to even associate with people like this. Rome was a very educated place. Think about this. Like, Rome was a, where the, all the center of like, they, they took over all these cultures. And you see it be a, like a hotbed for uh, philosophy and for learning. Like in, intellect and social status was everything there. We see democracy kind of practiced there in some ways. Right? We see this kind of new cu like culture evolving there that's a little more civilized. And so Romans took pride in all of these things. And the general consensus about these circumcised people who... <laughs> who didn't eat certain foods was that they were socially unworthy. They were outcast completely. The Roman culture was saying, these people are fools because pigs taste delicious, right? And so it was, you were seen as a pariah. You were seen as an outcast if you even associated with these people. So the Romans, in a way, in their culture, had something to lose. And these are brand new Christians. Think about this. They're just learning a lot about who God is, who Yahweh is. And so they're trying to figure all this stuff out. And Paul says, look, whatever you had to gain from like being socially worthy, whatever you had to gain there is not worth it. If you make your brother stumble, if you make this a competition, if you fight over this, So let's read on real quick. <clears throat> May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony one with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify, <clears throat> excuse me, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is saying here, God doesn't care who's right or who is wrong. God doesn't care 
boy, that like upsets the Baptist boy in me, for sure. Like, growing up, being the Baptist boy, which I'm still a Baptist boy, I'm just putting that out there, I'm not like dissing any of y'all. Baptist, yeah, okay. It's weird, I'm not doing that again, sorry Jesus. Uh, But the Baptist boy in me grew up saying, man, the Bible is inerrant. This is exactly what it means. And anybody who's wrong with me, and this is not what they taught me. This is just kind of what my sinful nature took off with. But anybody who disagrees with me is inferior to me. I am superior. If you don't believe what I believe, if you don't know what I know, if you can't explain it even the way that I can explain it, then I am better than you. Therefore, I will not listen to you I will not respect you. I don't care what you have to say, think, or be. I'm strong. You are weak. Rawr. That Honestly, and I would fight over the Bible. Fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. And God says, I don't care who's right. That's not what this is all about. I didn't make you a new people so you could follow every little rule perfectly. I made you a new people so that you could be holy as I am holy, that you could be completely different than the rest of the world. And I've called you out from all nations to come together and for God's sake, be unified, to be one, to sing in one voice for one thing, my glory Hey, church, God doesn't care about your petty arguments with one another. He cares about unity, period. He doesn't care who's right or wrong amongst us. He cares that we are together for his glory, and we're going to get into why. And by the way, I'm on pace to finish in roughly 30 minutes. You're welcome. God says, if you don't do this, we see this in Romans 14, I won't quote it, it's 14.20. He basically says, or Paul is saying, if you destroy your brother, if you are a stumbling block for your brother, if you do not seek unity, then you, and this is the exact wording here, you destroy the work of God. You thwart what God's plan and purpose is for you by making your brother stumble. By being superior, you are stopping the work that God is trying to do and tie his mission. That's pretty big deal, right? That's pretty hardcore statement there. So my favorite sport by far by far. And I know I've been talking about superiority, and that you're probably guessing that's not a good thing, which I'm going to get to that. But football is superior to every other sport. Amen? Gosh, man, if y'all spent too much time at the pool yesterday. Football is the superior sport. Amen? Amen. Okay, there we go. Football, football, football. Here's why, and here's why I love it. So I, I, I'm a football coach. I'm an assistant football coach at Sycamore High School, and I've learned a lot. And this is my sixth year. I'm starting there. And so I've learned a lot about football, and um, it's fun trying to teach teenagers who know better than you uh, how to do things, right? I'm not looking forward to my children's teenage years, but what's so beautiful about the sport in and of itself, let me, uh, 
let me indulge you. Uh, football, 11 players on the field. The goal, if you're on offense, the goal, every single play, the goal is to score a touchdown. Every, everyone, that's, that's like a, a run in baseball or a basket, for y'all, those of you who don't watch it. Baseball. All right. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah, oh, then double thumbs down, yeah. Now, the goal every play, and you might say, well, no, the goal is to get a first down, or maybe the goal is just to kind of gain a few yards so we can set up this play and this play. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense because not every time does it go perfectly, but no, every single offensive play that's ever been drawn on a board, you know what the goal is? Touchdown. Yeah, like get the dance ready. We're going to the checkerboard. You know what I'm saying? Go Vols. That's the goal. And every single person on that field, and this is what makes football so beautiful, they have their job to do. And if everyone on that field does their job and executes it well, you will score a touchdown every single play. That's the secret to football. Hire me, NFL. I know how to win every game. Be perfect. <laughs> no, that's it. But that's just what's beautiful about it. What's even better about it is there's 11 guys on the other side of the ball who have the exact same objective, to do their job perfectly, all 11 working as one, individually doing their job for a greater purpose, and that's for you not to score a touchdown. So we're trying to score, we're trying to prevent one. Every single play, and this is what's great about football and the chaos that gets thrown into it. Guess what? We don't all do our jobs every single time. There's competition. There's little mini battles, 11 mini battles going on to try to win this one big battle. And a lot of people think, well, the goal of football is to score touchdowns. No, 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 no. The goal of football is to win a football game. And so what we've got to understand and what we try to teach is it is going to happen that you're going to get beat. You're not going to do your job on a play. That's bound to happen a lot. Definitely a lot. (laughs) So when it does, forget about the last play and move on to the next one because you've got a new battle to fight. And what we see is happen, like as a game wears on and it's a tough game or you're getting beat really bad, all of a sudden this nature that's within us, competitive and kind of evil nature starts popping up and we start to get frustrated. We start to get frustrated at the people who are weak, especially if we've been doing our job right and we we look at them and it's like, man, pick it up, what are you doing? And they keep failing us over and over and over And by the end of the game, the entire team unravels. If 11 guys on a football team work together the entire game, I promise they can overcome any, like, deficit of score and win that football game. I promise. But the second a team unravels, when we say, nope, I care more about me than this team, you are terrible. You are weak. You are inferior. The second that we start to bicker and we start to fight about the things that aren't important, I promise you will lose that football game. Promise. It's a guarantee that it will happen. You cannot win if you don't have a team. That's why football's so great, by the way. Everybody working together. And church... If our family unravels and our team unravels, 
we lose the game. See, the goal that God is trying to get across and what Paul's talking about here, the goal is unity, right? The goal for this church and all the churches is unity, but the purpose, just like a football team's purpose, is to win a game. Our purpose is far greater, far greater than just winning a game. It says this, that may the God of encouragement and endurance grant you to live in such harmony with one another. He goes on to say that you would all sing in one voice to do what? Glorify God. We pass over that a lot and say, oh, glory, glory, glory to God. Amen, amen, right? We use that word all the time, but here's the thing. Your goal, your purpose, the reason that God brought you together is for his glory. And what that means is he wants you, church, to make him known. That's your purpose. That's the win. To make God known. And if you unravel as the team, you're gonna lose. You will destroy that work that God is trying to do to make himself known. John 13, 34 and 35 says this. We should have it on the screen up there. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, listen. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we love one another, when we are unified, church, we will display the gospel better than any sermon when we show each other love and forgiveness and mercy, when we show the world that we are completely different from them. See, don't you understand? The entire world operates on this superior, inferior kind of concept. It's dog eat dog, only the strong survive. We don't show mercy because that's weakness, and we don't want to be weak. But when they see people coexist and live together in such a way where they're showing true, real love to one another, when they're showing that they can get over the little stuff, all the silly drama that might come up, all the differences in what we think we know, when they see that, they go, that's different. That's not my nature. Where did they get that from? It's completely foreign. And they say, it must be otherworldly. And thank God it is otherworldly. It's the gospel on display in how you treat your brother and how you treat your sister. It'll preach a better sermon than I ever could. It displays the gospel. The last verse of this passage is my, one of my favorites in the whole scripture. It says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Hear that for a second. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Simple. It's beautiful, though. This is the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. This is the gospel. Romans 5, we we had it on the screen during worship. For when we were still weak, when we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You were unworthy. You were weak. You were inferior. You had nothing to offer God. 
nothing to offer God. He comes into your life and he says, no, 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 no. I know that you're my enemy. I know that you hate me and willfully rebel against me. I know that you fail over and over. I know that you're wrong over and over. I know that you're weak, but I welcome you into fellowship with me. I welcome you. And think about that word welcome. It's different than than a lot of words. It's got a bigger and heavier connotation. I joyfully accept you. Come be with me. I don't judge you and look down on you because you're weak. No, I see you as valuable. Come be with me. That is the gospel. While you were still a sinner, Jesus said, come. And Paul says, therefore, welcome one another in the exact same way. Selflessly, sacrificially, laying down your life for other people without strings attached. No matter how much they fail, no matter their weaknesses, welcome them. And there it is again, for the glory of God so that you can fulfill your great purpose and you can make Jesus known in this world. It will take unity, period. So I'll get to this. 24 Church, God's sending us on a mission, right? For years and now for weeks, we've been talking about that God is sending us out on this mission. We're reaching out to people who have great needs in our community, to kids who have great needs in our community. And, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna tell you this, division is gonna be the only thing that can stop this mission from happening. And, and so I'll ask you this question. How in the world do we expect to go minister and welcome people who are in, in society's eyes, in some cases, weak and failures, not to be trusted. <laughs> how are we expected, how do you think, in any way, that we're gonna be able to reach these people and minister to these people if we can't even do this for ourselves and amongst ourselves? We will destroy the work of God if we cannot be unified in the purpose. And trust me, when God calls people to big stuff like this, churches to big stuff, there is spiritual attack that's gonna happen everywhere. I know of very specific families, right? Like this happened last week as people are writing a check. Some of them a very sacrificial big check. We talked about that number. That's crazy and amazing. Like even in my own family, this attack happened where Dude, our car completely broke down, done. We'd paid it off the night before. <laughs> the night before. And I guess that's good, but dang, man. And, and we were even figuring, like, in this amount that we're gonna give, we can't have a car payment to do it. And in the moment, it was like, first thing I thought, man, we're not gonna be able to write that check. Attack. And only by God's grace, only by God's grace, trust me, this is not of me at all because I worry too much. But he was like, no, you're gonna write that check, baby, I got you. Man, on Sunday, 
people wrote a check. This is crazy. I hope they don't mind me sharing. I'm not going to mention their names. But they, they committed to this. They wrote a check on Sunday, and that night, the husband lost his job. They said, this is going to be really, really hard, but God's called us to do it. We're going to do it. Praise God. Spiritual attack is going to happen. So you better believe it, that if we are called together, unified, to go out for this purpose, that he is going to attack us. Satan and the powers that be are coming after us. And we know this to be true from the scriptures. He can't stop the church. He cannot stop us. He is defeated. You are defeated, Satan. You have no authority here, but you know what he can do? He can wedge himself in between relationships in this church amongst people that are here, and he sure can slow us down. It's going to happen, and we have to be prepared about it, and we have to remember what Paul said, right or wrong. It doesn't matter. It's not what's important. The big picture is, the main purpose is, go and fulfill my purpose to make me known. I'll close with this. <clears throat> we talk, we've talked a lot about bringing kids here, right? And out of pretty bad situations. And a lot of times those situations have occurred because of drug use, right? And drug abuse. <clears throat> and so talking about going to get them, bringing them here and ministering to them, and I think it is so fantastic and wonderful that we're doing that. But here's the thing is we're not just called to those kids, we're called to the people who put them in that bad situation. That's who we're called to. The socially unworthy, the weak, the failures. And, and I've gotta be honest, I know in my lifetime, and it's hard for me even now when I see some of this, but if you're honest with yourself, and if, if I am too, then I know that there's moments where you go, they deserve whatever they get. They got themselves into this mess. They're hurting everyone around them. They don't deserve my help. You didn't deserve Jesus's. But he welcomed you. Church, we got a tall order in front of us. Everything in our nature, all the competition that's within us wants to fight against serving people who don't deserve it. But we gotta realize something. You've never been the strong that Paul's talking about. You've always been the weak. I've always been the weak. Apart from Jesus, apart from Jesus, you are morally bankrupt. There is no high ground for you to stand on. And praise God for it. We can't go to a people and say, I reject you because of your behavior, because of the mistakes that you've once made. We can't go to people and respond to their weakness like this. I will serve you and I will help you as long as you don't continue to fail. We can't do that either. We can't try to control people's behavior in that way and put all these strings on these relationships. When Jesus doesn't do that for you, how often do you fail in sin? And is Jesus still welcoming you? Oh, yeah. And the last thing that we can't do is we can't go and say, oh, 
Oh, poor people. And have pity on them and say, you need this. You need me. And in our minds the whole time, we're like being divisive as all get out because all we're saying is, I'm better than you, and for you to be happy or whole or complete, you need me. Wrong. (laughs) Wrong. You are exactly like them, weak, inferior, and they need exactly what you need every day. Remember this, church, every day, even now, Jesus. Church, we have to be one. We have to go as one. And when we say we're going to to minister to people, we have to say we are going to welcome them too. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter your failings. It doesn't matter your weaknesses. Christ died for us when we were weak, and we will proclaim that message as one voice all the time, and we practice here and now, church, with one another. So I, I, I just encourage you, church, to do this. Get ready. Get ready. If there's anything that you need to like resolve with a Christian brother or sister, do it. Just do it. It's little. It's not a big deal. Just do it. If you're here today and you say, man, I've never heard of anything like this to forgive people and to trust people who are untrustworthy, to show grace and mercy toward people who are undeserving of it. I don't know even what that looks like or means. I am here to tell you that there is a God in heaven who cares about you and is coming after you despite all your failures and despite all your weakness. And he died for you, a perfect, perfect person. Jesus Christ died in your place so that you could have fellowship with God, so that you could be joyfully accepted and received, welcomed into the kingdom. And so today, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And I believe it. Do you, church? Amen? Today is the day, church. We lay aside all the weight that's gonna hold us back and we look forward to the goal set in front of us just like an athlete trains over and over and over. The goal is God's glory. We are here to make him known and this is not a competition. We are in this as a family and we are in this as a team. We must follow Christ and realize that we're not our own. It's not a competition. This is a calling. And unified, we can fulfill our glorious purpose to make Jesus known. Let's pray. God, I pray this, that your word is heard today and none of mine. God, even though I preach more than 30 minutes, God, I pray that we would take this so seriously, that we would see and respond to the gospel today in such a way That we would, it would change the way we treat people even. That we would see that Jesus has sacrificed selflessly for us. That he didn't please himself. In fact, he bore our reproaches. He became socially unworthy on our behalf when we didn't deserve it. God, I pray that we would respond to that today. Jesus, move in this place. As we enter into a time of communion, God, I pray it is truly communal. I pray that we would be willing to take this with other people, that we would right wrongs between one another, and that we would rejoice in the salvation and mercy that only Jesus can bring. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're in this place 
and you want to talk about what it means to believe in Jesus, I'm going to be up front here. Please come hang out with me.